Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. In possession of the ball, the boys are, are spreading out to make themselves available. You can't give it away. Good giveaway there. Good interception, I should say. And here comes Christian Padilla right down the middle and into the back of the net. The race hit early on the break. Interception by Caldwell. And guess who? The Ecuadorian DeLorean does the rest. <laughs> And that was Brad Feldman and Paul Mariner on NBC Sports Net Boston, courtesy of Craft Sports Production with the goal call for Christian Pania's fourth-minute goal as the Revolution's high press led to the team getting a 1-0 goal in just the fourth minute. Uh, and then in the seventh minute, Christian Pania scored again off of a turnover from Toronto with an empty net as Alex Bono came a bit far out of his net dribbling the ball and, and passed it, and then there was a giveaway, and Pania scored in the empty net. Um, and then in the second half, Teal Bunbury got the scoring started again in just the 46th minute to get the Revolution a 3-0 lead, but things began to get a bit dicey after that as De La Maya scored an own goal in the 55th minute, and Giovinco uh, scored in a penalty kick in the 89th minute, only to get ejected after that with a uh, red card after, after he put his hands to the face of Zahibo when there was some back and forth after that goal. Um, but... Uh, the Revolution held on from there for a 3-2 victory and a, and a key three points against Toronto FC, a team that's been struggling early on in the season, um, who admittedly was missing several guys for this game. Michael Bradley was playing as a center back. Josie Altador out injured. Giovinco didn't start this one, came on in the second half. Victor Vasquez, same thing. Toronto had played a midweek game and, and rested several guys for this one. So it wasn't a full-strength Toronto side, but again, a crucial three points for the Revolution. Uh, I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Brian O'Connell and Greg Johnstone. Uh, Brian, what, what was your takeaway from this match? I think the uh, the biggest takeaway I think was what everyone was talking about, and that's the uh, the changes to the lineup. Obviously, we knew that Agudelo was going to be out due to injury, so we saw uh, so we saw Count Rowe back in. But obviously, the the more interesting ones were the uh, were the um, replacements of Dielna of Claude Dielna, um, Wilfred Zahibo, and Gabriel Somi all. Uh, two of those defenders uh, that were starters in last week's uh, loss at Montreal. So um, I know that we talked about it last week, how you know we kind of debated whether or not there should be changes. And obviously, Friedel uh, was of the mindset that there should be changes after a, a, four, uh, a 4-2 drubbing uh, up in Montreal. And we saw them in the return of Antonio De La Maya to the lineup and Christianity's first start of the season uh, this year. So... Um, those were, those were, I think, the biggest things. And I think it kind of speaks to, especially with those two players, um, I think it speaks to the fact that this is really, you know, when when Brad Friedel suggests that it really is a meritocracy in the sense that if you train hard and if you uh, continue to work, um, you know, behind the scenes, that you're going to get a shot. And I think uh, I think De La Maya and Tierney returning to the lineup were certainly, certainly indications of that, of that being the case of, of Friedel backing up, uh, that, backing up that talk. So... Um, those were two of the biggest ones, um, obviously that we saw yesterday. Uh, the most curious one to me was the uh, was the uh, was the dropping of Zahibo from the lineup in favor of Scott Caldwell. Um, yeah, I asked Friedel about that right after the game, and he said that it was more of a tactical thing more than anything else. Um, he said that the game plan suited uh, Caldwell starting over Zahibo. So um, curious, uh, still kind of like I guess I'd have to look at the game again to see. Um, you know what kind of what kind of influence uh, Scott Caldwell had. He had a good game, but um, but I still thought that uh, Zahibo certainly didn't do anything versus Montreal to 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 warrant him being dropped from the lineup. But um, obviously that for me those were that was the biggest takeaway was that um, you saw you saw uh, 
guys being dropped from lineup after uh, after the loss in in Montreal, and that accountability is is a real thing here under Brad Friedel. Yeah, and I think after Montreal, you know, it was kind of a humbling loss, and I think it's uh, kind of a good mentality that after a, a lost a a weaker team or a team that's on your level that you know shaking up the lineup a little bit and and kind of letting some guys that haven't gotten minutes in recent weeks kind of uh, you know get to get their chance and and. Uh, kind of show what they can do. So uh, I didn't hate it. I was certainly surprised. I know we talked last week about, you know, we talk every week about potential changes. And I know that really the only thing we were considering was whether or not Somi uh, gets a week off at, <laughs> in the back line. And I think I remember saying, you know, against Toronto, you don't really want to mix up your back line very much. And uh, sure enough, Friedel goes out and replaces his left back. He takes out uh, Dielna for uh, De La Mea. And then he moved Annie Baba over a spot. And uh, for, for the most part, it worked out okay. Um, I was I was hoping for a little bit of a better showing than Chris Tierney. I think he kind of struggled uh, defensively. He, he led the team in touches, surprisingly enough. Um, but uh, defensively on the own goal from uh, uh, De La Mea, um, the, the attacker got in between him and Annie Baba and it looked like Tierney was a little bit too high up. Uh, and of course, Tierney uh, got the penalty. It was it was a weak penalty, and I, I don't really want to blame Tierney too much for for conceding it because he didn't even see that guy coming, and it was I thought it was a little bit of a dive. So I can't put too much uh, emphasis on blaming Tierney there. But um, you know, we we had a lot of questions about that left back spot and Somi in recent weeks, and um, you know, Tierney I don't think did anything to kind of put his name back in the hat. I think we'll we'll probably see Somi next week. But um, overall, uh, it was it's kind of good to have that depth and and be able to rotate players in and out. Were you guys surprised at all to see um, Dielna, the you know the captain of the team, take a take a seat for this one, um, especially given the the faith that Friedel's shown in him so far? I definitely was. I definitely was surprised. I think that was probably um, when you look at you know the fact that it seemed like uh, you know when you have a guy who's the who's the captain um, to be taken out of the lineup. Um, I think that was that was very surprising, um, given the fact that it seemed like you know not only is not only is he you know leader, he's also your captain and essentially he's been the anchor of that defense. And so to see him being taken off, I mean, really, I guess just emphasizes the point that Friedel is really, it really is the best 11 guys that he feels give him the best chance to win every week. I, I at first I was really, really surprised about it. Uh, just cause I, I feel like Yelna is probably the, I would say the best center back we have, but he does get caught up field a little bit too much. And I wonder if Friedel um, thought maybe De La Mea is kind of a more conservative option. He, maybe he wanted his center back staying back and he thought maybe Dielna would kind of trickle up the field a little bit too much. Um, so as, as time went on, I kind of understood why he uh, made that switch and, and saw it as a good opportunity to get De La Mea back and involved. Um, but I was more surprised about Zahibo sitting, uh, like like you guys alluded to earlier. Um, I think it's great Scott Caldwell got in the game, but uh, you know I, I think Zahibo has been playing great lately and he's kind of been coming into his own. So uh, getting a week off was a bit of a surprise for me. And I wonder, like, just to kind of go back on what you were saying, Greg, about um, about the like, like, you know, get, getting a little cavalier, you know, as uh, getting into the attack. I wonder if that was really to send a message because he's been doing that a lot this year. And I'm wondering if, you know, there was some sort of talk between him and him and Friedel where Friedel's basically saying, hey, you need to really cut that out. And, you know, De- and Dielma obviously being a, a guy who's, you know, kind of his own player and stuff, his own person, and someone who has had a lot of experience in Europe. It's kind of, you know, kind of like really didn't get this, really didn't get the message, and maybe that was a little bit of, hey, now you better get the message because I'm taking you on the lineup. So, um, you know, we'll see. Well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if, if he's back in the lineup uh, versus Columbus. 
Yeah, and, and we heard, you know, Friel talk about doing more rotation going forward, but one position you really don't want to rotate very much, at least to me, and I think most people would agree, is center back because the chemistry there is, is so crucial. Um, so, you know, while I see, like, some rotation with, with Zahibo for, for Caldwell, you know, that you know, might justify there um, because I don't think Zahibo had a bad game against Marshall. I thought it was, you know, arguably their best player in that game in which, you know, a lot of players did have bad games. Um do you think that we will see more Annie Baba and, and De La Maya going forward? Because again, I, I just I, I think center back in particular is a spot that you know if you make a change, um, you're not expected to make that change for one game because you know chemistry is so important there. I, I think Claude Dielna is going to be in the lineup. I, I think more often than not, we're going to see Annie Baba and Dielna. But I, I what I've learned from Friedel, which I wouldn't have said this last week, just because we've gotten in the habit of seeing starting eleven after starting eleven. But Friedel isn't a, isn't afraid to shake things up and to try something new it seems like and I think with Friedel we have three center backs and I don't necessarily think any of them are a bad option so I'm sure we're going to see games like this where um, if Dielna or Anibaba has a bad game uh, you know even if Claude Dielna makes MLS team of the week you know two weeks if he has a bad game against Montreal um, he's gonna rest him one week and kind of give him a minute to clear his head and uh, give De La Mela some some minutes and let him uh, you know, earn a start here or there. I mean, you could say the same thing about De La May. He got red card in the first game and he hadn't seen the field until last week. So um, I think Friedel's just going to, you know, it's what have you done for me lately? What have you done last game? What'd you do in training? Uh, and I think he's going to look at matchups and I, I think he's not going to be afraid to rotate players in and out. Um, but I mean, if I was guessing though, I mean, the Claude Yelna, any Baba center back pairing was working very well. And I'd imagine you don't want to mess with that too long and, and, you know, uh, get away from that very much. Cause uh, as I say, I mean, I think those are your two best center backs. It's also worth no- noting that in, in, uh, Dale May's first game, he got red carded in his second start. He scores an own goal. So he's definitely out. So I think, I think, uh, I think we'll see Dale next week. And I'm, of course, I'm just joking about that, but, um, but, uh, I, I tend to agree with you, Greg. I think we're going to see Dale more often than not, but I think it all, it's also, um, like I mentioned earlier, I think it also just is kind of like a little bit of a reminder to Dielma saying, you know, you may think that your spot is, is a safe, your spot isn't as safe as you think it is. So um, obviously, to, to me, I think we're going to see Dielma again next week. Um, but it, I think the fact that Dielma got the start should be in the back of, should not only be in the back of Dielma's mind, it should be in the back of everyone's mind. Because if, it, it kind of sends a message that if you're, even the captain is not above reproach when it comes to making uh, when it comes to feeling the best eleven. Even the captain is um, is 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 uh, in the same position as everyone else when it comes to putting in the effort needed that putting the effort that Friedel requires in order to uh, field his best eleven every week. Yeah, and I thought that you know it's harsh on on De La May to get that own goal. Um, you know, unlike Farrell's, I don't think it was, he was really at fault there um, for what happened. But I, overall, I thought he had a pretty good game. Um, so I actually wouldn't be surprised to see him get get another start in the next match. Um, it, it'll be very interesting to see what they do there because that is, again, a, p- a position that you don't want to switch around too much. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see De La May get, get another start, and it is unfortunate for him to have that own goal. But, it, it, again, um, to me, he played a really good game otherwise, and that was just harsh on him. Um, the, the one other change that wasn't in the starting lineup was seeing Zachary Haravu become the first player to enter the match off the bench. Um, he hadn't seen any MLS minutes 
since 2016 and, and, and then only saw very, very few mop-up minutes late in games in which they were up big or losing big. Um, so it was interesting to see him come off the bench and move into that number 10 role with Diego Fagundes uh, going wide. Um, what, what did you guys think of his performance? And were you surprised to see that sub? I really liked it. I mean, we, I know we mocked, uh, you know, Harrow as a 10 or, or not necessarily mocked him as a 10, but being above Lee Wynn when, when Bradfield made that comment, but, um, you know, we, I know Harrow's young and, but we haven't really seen a lot of him in recent years and he hasn't gotten a lot of minutes. So, uh, it was good to see him for half an hour and see what he can bring. And I was overall impressed, uh, you know, for a 21 year old, he's, uh, done very well or he, he did very well yesterday he had a really really nice ball to kellen Rowe uh, right when he came on uh, uh down the left side uh, he led Rowe into the box i think it led to a cross uh, across the face of goal uh led to a scoring chance but um you know i'm not saying he should be cracking the starting 11 i guess there was some uh consideration for him uh in in the starting 11 from brad friedel and i'm very curious to see if he gets a start next week with uh Fugundes out uh, but uh, overall i was very very impressed with harivo and uh, i'm excited to see him I, he certainly should be in the starting or in the 11 i should say I, I think he could be an impact player off the bench i, I like zachary Aravo. i really do i think there's a lot of potential but i to me, I, I have to disagree, Greg. I think he kind of looked overmatched in this game. I think he came into a game in which I just think it was too fast and it was too physical for him. And I think that he just he just kind of looked overmatched. I think he it looked like he looked like the kind of it, it looked like the game was too big for him when he came in and when he played. I just I just really didn't see enough. I mean, your first your first sub off the bench is, should be like one of your most impactful um, substitutes, and I don't think he really made enough of an impact to warrant. Um, to warrant a start next week. Now, granted, I know that I think we all know that uh, Fidel is really high on on Ervo, and I and you know maybe justifiably so. Maybe maybe what he really needs is a full ninety minutes or, or a longer run in order for us to see it. But for me, I just think that he looked out of his element in yesterday's game. I just think that he looked overmatched, and um, you know it'll be interesting to see if he does get that start because I don't know if he's based on what I saw last night. I don't think he's necessarily deserving of that start. Um, with Fagundes out next, uh, with Fagundes out next week. I want to, I want to counter that. I want to counter that one here. Uh, I, I will say that I should, I should kind of clarify where you know we saw kind of flashes from Haravo of what he can do. I think the situation where he came in, the Revs clearly weren't holding possession and they were kind of just trying to hold off on that lead. Um, you know, I, I think early on in the game they seemed to be. I'm not saying you know Haravo's above Kellen Rowe, or I don't think he should be in the starting eleven constantly. But he, he did show some flashes and he did make some good passes overall. I mean, you're right. He, his pass percentage was 57%, which is not very good. But I think if you looked at the tools, he you know exhibited some speed. He exhibited some vision. Overall, I think as a long-term prospect, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see Haribo in the starting 11, maybe in future seasons. Uh, and I don't mind him being a player off the bench uh, currently. I should, I should kind of clarify on that, that I, I wouldn't put him above Rowe or, you know, Fagundes or anything like that. I'm, I'm not, or, or Agudelo. Uh, I don't think he's going to be seeing a lot of minutes in the near future. But um, overall, you know, for a 21-year-old, uh, I think he's got a lot of promise. Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree with with both your points there. I think what Brian was saying. I, I don't think he had a you know fantastic game by any stretch. Um, it, it was a tough situation for him to come in for, especially as a guy that hadn't seen MLS minutes since since 2016. Um, and I do think he would have benefited from you know from playing from the start and, and getting opportunity to, to build into the game. Uh, but you know, the comments from Friedel make me think that there's a chance we could see him 
next weekend, and we can talk about that more when we're previewing that game. But uh, there will be a decision to make because we haven't, as we haven't discussed yet, Diego Fagundes, um, and we mentioned last week that he was one yellow card away from being suspended, did pick up a yellow card in this game, I believe, for time-wasting. Uh, so he will be suspended next weekend, uh, and there will be opportunity for either you know Roe to move into the number 10 spot or maybe we'll see Haravu there. So we, we can you know get more into that at the end of the show when we're previewing the next game, but that's you know something to think about. Uh, Greg, what, what were your takeaways from this match? My takeaway from this match is, one, Michael Bradley is not a center back. And two, uh, we need to see more of Scott Caldwell. Uh, I think Scott Caldwell is a great fit for the high press system. It seems like whenever he's in, you know, he starts the game, he, there are so many goals we've seen this year that he's started, he's forced a turnover and it leads to a quick counter and it leads to a goal for the revolution. Uh, he had a great interception there in the first minute that, uh, uh, I think he forced the ball and he got the ball to uh, Bunbury, who then passed it on to Pena, who, who got the goal in the fourth minute. Uh, there was another play where he, uh, in the first half, where he forced a turnover at midfield, um, and it didn't lead to a successful counterattack, but the ball kind of rolled down to the uh, left back side, and someone kept the ball in play, and Caldwell hustled over, forced another turnover. Um, he probably won't go a full 90 minutes, but when he's on the field, he provides a lot of hustle. I think he should be in a starting spot getting six to, 60 to 65 minutes a game. Um, he just brings a, a lot of um, – he anticipates the play very, very well. He, he creates a lot of turnovers, and I think in that high-press system, uh, he's a perfect fit for it. So uh, I don't know what they're going to be bringing out next week, but if I was Brad Friedel, I'd try to get Scott Caldwell in the lineup as much as I can. I would actually and, – and to go off that point, I know that we'll talk about the game later on, but one quick point about Scott Caldwell. I actually think that – Caldwell might be a, a, a decent replacement for, for Diego as the number 10 because that was kind of a position he played in college. And, um, you know, in recent years, we've seen him t- play, take on a more of an attacking role than we've seen uh, than, than we've seen uh, when, when, he was, when he was kind of uh, came out as a rookie. So I actually wouldn't hate it if we saw him as number 10, but that's all I'm going to say about that because we'll, we'll preview the game later on. He did have that really nice pass to Fagundes where Fagundes kind of danced around two players in the box and shot the ball. It, it hit Bono right in the leg. Uh, Caldwell, Scott Caldwell had a really, really nice pass that was perfectly right around Bradley and right onto Fagundes' foot. So uh, I was really impressed with him as a passer yesterday. I don't know if I'd start him as a 10, but you know he, he's a good passer for the role that they put him in. And, you know, I think he has a reputation for making smart passes and not turning the ball over. Um, but people more think of him making safe passes rather than number, you know, number 10 uh, defense breaking passes. But it's interesting to look at his stats from this game. He actually attempted 10 passes in the in the final third, uh, of which 80 percent of those were completed. So, you know, he does have the ability to to make dangerous passes in the, in the final third. And I was you know overall impressed with with his game because the revolution as a team completed 55% of their passes in the final third. And he was at 80%. So significantly better than uh, the rest of the team there. And the, and the other point I'll make too, um, and which will lead a bit into my takeaway was, uh, you know, he was fantastic at helping the revolution keep possession. 83%, 83.3% passing overall in this game, the best on the, the revolution of anyone that uh, started the match. Um, and, and that's just something that he offers that um, the revolution have struggled with this year. Just you know, somebody you can pass the ball to and you know isn't going to make a silly sloppy turnover. Um, and it, it, with, the, with the high press, you've seen a lot more turnovers from the Revolution, but Caldwell is a guy that even in that formation, in that system, can uh, be counted on to keep the ball. And with that, I wanted to get to, to my takeaway, which is along those same lines, um, just to 
the one thing that I think this team needs to work on is, is finding a way to hold on to a lead in you know a more comfortable manner um, because they were three up three nil up in this game but to me they never looked like it was a safe lead especially you know, certainly when Giovinco came on um, and a lot of that was their inability to keep possession uh, the first ten minutes of the game the Revolution you know when they got that, off that two nothing lead they were actually leading in possession they ended the game um, with only thirty nine point two percent of the possession um, the only other time the only other five minute segment they they had a lead in possession was the first five minutes of the second half but after that they were absolutely dominated after those first five minutes that you know the next five was 70 percent toronto and then 80 percent toronto and then 74 percent toronto um got a little bit better after that but you know again towards the end of the game it was 74 percent toronto um and and just you know it's great that the revolution have been so successful in the high press um but you know when you're after a three nothing lead maybe you want to find a way to keep possession a little bit better and make it a bit easier on yourself so you're not chasing the game um and and, and that was why i think toronto um, certainly bringing on Giovinco and, and Vazquez helped, um, but why Toronto was able to to get their way back into this game and at times seemed like they could find a way to, to equalize. Uh, so, you know, I, I think Friedel's found a great way to make this team do really well with a high press, but I, I, I'm not sure they know how to switch it up and, and find a way to maintain possession and, and hold on to a lead without having to chase the game. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point, Sean. I th- and I also think that, you know, to, for me, I know that they've gotten – They've they've done surprisingly well with high press, but I still think that it's still very much like a work in progress. Um, and and as we saw yesterday, I think some of that is you know how how quickly the uh, possession scale uh, tilted after the after the first two uh, Pania goals, and then what we saw after Bunbury's uh, goal in the second half. So I think it it's it's still worth worth it's still worth bearing in mind that you know it's still it's still year one under a new coach and under a new system, and I think there's still. I think they're going to spend much of the year still working out the kinks, um, you know. And obviously, as we saw yesterday, you know, whenever you do have, whenever you are pitted against a team that that can bring on a Giovinco play, a guy like Giovinco on in the uh, second half, and Victor Vasquez. I mean, obviously, that those two players are going to give any any team in the league problems and fits uh, when it comes to possession, because <clears throat> not only not only of what they not only what they bring to the table, but of the the additional confidence that having that the rest of the team gets from having those two players on the, uh, on the field certainly helps them as well. So, um, I think it'll, I think it'll get better. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I think it's something that they obviously need to improve upon. Um, but yeah, giving up, uh, conceding two goals after, you know, taking a three, nothing lead is, is somewhat troubling, but I think it's something that, um, you know, I think it's something that they'll, they'll continue to work on as the season progresses. And, uh, uh, one one hypothetical I had for you guys is if Toronto doesn't score that goal in the 55th minute, does TFC put Giovinco on? I mean, I'm sure they thought that if it was a winnable game, they'll bring bring him on for 30 or so minutes. But, I mean, if it's a 3-0 game with 30 minutes left, I, I wonder if TFC just thinks they rest Giovinco. What do you guys think? I was thinking that same – I was thinking that I had that same thought. It seemed like right after they scored, Giovinco got up. Yeah, it seemed like at three nothing. I was like, I you know, I was starting to think that there's no way Vanny brings in Giovinco for this game because it's just it's out it's out of the re- it's out of their reach and there's just no there's no sense in using and bringing on a player, um, you know, of that quality and let you know and risk injury especially on the turf, um, in a in a three nothing game with the, with the lead you know with that kind of lead I mean with that kind of disadvantage so, um, yeah I actually had the same thought and I think I think had it not been for that own goal I don't 
I don't think we see Giovinco. Yeah, and, and I actually thought we were going to see those two guys, Vasquez and Giovinco, come on at halftime. So when that didn't happen, uh, you know, and then the Revolution immediately got a third goal, um, I was thinking we might not see them either. Because uh, you look in Toronto as a game coming on Friday, too. So, it's, you know, they had a Wednesday game, Saturday game, and then, you know, somewhat short rest for a Friday game um, against Orlando. So, yeah, I, I, I thought that as well. And, um, you know, then when he did come on, it's, you know, a whole other ball game because few defenses in the league can contain a Giovinco. One thing I will say, though, about the Revs is that I don't I don't necessarily mind, you know, making, you know, kind of sitting players back and hitting on the counterattack. And I, I think I agree with your overall point, Sean, about, you know, it seemed like the Revolution had nothing going towards the end of the game and they were really just trying to wind down the clock. But one thing I'd say is that the, the bigger issue for me with the Revolution is that that game really should have been over in the first half. It was 2 nothing at halftime, and there were some plays that, you know, Bunbury had a breakaway where he, he got the inside on uh, Michael Bradley, and he, he couldn't finish. Uh, Fagundes had a, a pretty good shot, and, you know, he shot it kind of right at the keeper. So, uh, I mean, the Revs certainly had chances that they did not convert on, um, and I think that game could have been a lot uglier quicker. Um, I think it was a, the, the play from Farrell where he had that long pass to Bunbury, uh, I mean, that was a game changer because you're going from a two nothing game where anything is possible still to three nothing where the revs, you know, seem to be in hand. I think if they don't get that goal there and they kind of drop into the, uh, you know, play it out and try to try to prevent TFC from scoring twice, uh, I think it's very possible they come away with one point instead of three. Well, how do you evaluate Bunbury's performance after a game like that, too? Because, you know, he scored that great goal and, and had a great assist, but, you know, he really had two sitters that he should have put away. He should have finished this game with a hat trick. And we heard after the match that he was, you know, sick the night before. But, you know, how do, how do you rate a Teal Bunbury in a performance where, yeah, he got the goal and the assist, but he really, really should have had two more goals. And I, I think the goal that he had was probably the hardest of those three chances. You know, I think it's interesting because, you know, the expectation for Teal this year is so much higher. Where you know, if you if you look ordinarily at it at a regular, I guess quote unquote Teal Bunbury year, and he has and he has five goals, I think you I think I think it's a bigger issue. Where if he's not finishing in general, you know, you kind of say, well, what what's the problem? But uh, but the fact that he did he did score yesterday and he had two two chances to uh, to score and he could have had you know it could have blown the game wide open. Um, I just think kind of speaks to how uh, how much higher the bar is for for Teal this year because I think that by far I think he's he's come out to easily his best his best start with the revs um in as t- in terms of you know in terms of production um and the fact that we're talking about two misses in a game in which he scores a third goal i think is kind of is kind of i guess kind of speaks to the fact that the expectation for him is so much higher that it, certainly higher for me in the sense that um he's always been like a kind of player that um you know will will score goals but he'll also miss his fair share of uh of easy chances so I mean, the fact that he did score and we're talking about two misses is kind of, I guess, maybe an indication of of that of those higher expectations. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I was going to say that you know um, he did miss his chances, and uh, but considering of what we thought of Teal Bunbury at the start of the season to now, I think we've got raised expectations on Bunbury. Um, I think we'll, I give him kind of a pass for his sickness. He he seemed a little bit off. Um, the chance where he had uh, he had Bradley beat on the breakaway. At first, he kind of mishandles the pass and he almost loses it. Then he gets it back. He beats uh, Bradley. He beats Bradley to the ball in a sprint, and then he kind of goes around the keeper. And he kind of had some good and some bad mixed on that play. And that was kind of a representative of the whole night. Where um, Sean, I think you tweeted at a stat where he he had like he took on seven defenders or something like that, and he beat them. I mean, he was going around defenders all night, but. 
uh, there were just moments where you're just scratching your head and he, he just couldn't finish the uh, place. Um, I think overall his getting that goal in the, the second half to start out, that was a really nice play by him, uh, a really nice shot. And uh, I, I, I'm not going to say it was a bad performance because uh, he certainly brought a lot to that game, but he, he did seem a little bit off and I think it makes a little bit of uh, sense that he was sick. So um, uh, overall uh, it was a good, not great performance from uh, Teal Bunbury uh, 9.1 rating on who scored. That's probably the worst 9.1 rating game I've ever seen, but uh, he certainly got on the, the score sheet and he, he did contribute. So I, I can't knock him too much. Yeah, you mentioned that the, the take on stat. At one point, he was seven for seven on take ons, which is you know, really impressive. He uh, he he missed out on going perfect with a late failed take on, finished seven for eight, which is still really impressive. Also had seven ball recoveries, so you know d- did his job to to win turnovers on uh, with the high press. Um, just just the finishing, which I think was the biggest knock on him last year, his inability to finish off you know, great chances, um, still leaves me a little bit worried because if, if you're relying on him to be your, your striker day in and day out, um, you know, yes, it was great that he scored that goal, but it's not every game that he's going to get three great chances like that and can afford to, to waste two of them. Uh, so you know, something to watch going forward because I think that was a concern for, for all of us uh, last year and, and, and this year to, to see him you know, picking up those five goals but also missing some sitters. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can you know, find the consistency going forward with those goals. Um, and the other big news this week was the MLS salaries being released. Um, so I, I did want to jump into those and, and get your take on, on some of the ones that that came out. The the first one being the the number that jumps off the page, and that's Christian Namath uh, with his total compensation this year being uh, – this is guaranteed compensation. He could potentially get more through bonuses, uh, but his total guaranteed compensation right now being over a million dollars. What are your thoughts on that salary? And you know, interesting in light of what we heard early on in this season that the Revolution were looking to trade him. He, he is an expensive debt piece. I will say that. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a crazy amount of money for a guy who, since coming here to the Revs, has kind of really really not added much, if anything, um, to uh, to you know to to the the team's success, especially this year. Um, we saw last year it took him about a month to get onto the. To get onto the team, and when he did, he really didn't have much, much as far as contributions go. I think he maybe scored a goal. Um, I'm probably misremembering his stats, but I know it wasn't a he. He certainly wasn't making the kind of impact you expect from a million dollar player. So um, certainly, I can see why they were trying to trade him at the beginning of this year because um, not only did he not produce last year, but he doesn't seem to have uh, really impressed Friedel um, in terms of getting getting a fair shout at a, at a starting spot because. Um, you know, we're already uh, we're already more than a quarter way into the season, and he hasn't, and he really hasn't, uh, you know, really made any any impact whatsoever uh, in terms of this team's success. Yeah, and uh, I'll go for, further too. Not only uh, have we not, uh, not only have we not seen a lot from uh, someone who makes a million dollars, but uh, I went. Do you guys remember what we gave up for him? Uh, what we traded to Columbus to get his rights? It's pretty painful. It's uh, two hundred thousand in TAM, two hundred thousand in general allocation money, and then an international roster spot for twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. And I looked up other trades uh, because some international roster spots have been traded, and a twenty seventeen international roster spot was going for seventy five thousand dollars worth of allocation money last year, and this year a twenty eighteen uh, roster spot is going for one hundred seventy five thousand in allocation money. So we essentially gave up another half a million dollars uh, in allocation money to acquire Namath to pay him a million dollars. And that is a very, very expensive price tag for, as you say, Brian, a depth piece. 
Um, I do think he shows flashes of potential, and I, I do think he has certain tools, but he's not a great fit for Brad Friedel's system, and this has certainly got to be an acquisition that they regret making. Yeah, and you mentioned the international roster spot that, that um, they gave up as part of that trade, and I think... You know, when we talk about the money they got from from Lee Wynn to to spend this summer, um, they're kind of limited in what they can do in part because of that international roster spot that they gave up. Um, because if if I'm not mistaken, I believe that they they've got seven international roster spots right now. Um, and you look, you know, down the Revolution roster, they have Zahibo, Somi, that's two, Pania, three, Namath, four. Uh, you know, th- then uh, Dielna, five. Um, and Casado six. So if, if I'm not mistaken, they may only have one international roster spot open right now, uh, which means they certainly have to do some maneuvering uh, in the summer if they're going to add you know, a couple players with that money that they got for for Lee Wen for international guys. So um, that that right there could actually come into play. Um, so yeah, they gave up you know a lot of allocation money, but the international roster spot giving up could be problematic. Yeah, you also have to wonder if, if that's the case, um, whether or not there's there's really something on something going on behind the scenes as to trying to move Namath the same way that they were that they tried to move Win. Obviously, they were success, successful in moving Win, um, but you also have to wonder if they're if they're still actively shopping, um, if they're still actively shopping Namath because you're right. I mean, if it if 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 it's true that the team is looking to acquire up to two players during the uh, summer window. Obviously, you have to think two of those players are probably the likelihood is that both of them are going to be internationals, and there just isn't enough room on the roster for both if you're doing that. So, uh, all the more reason to uh, to move Namath uh, as soon as possible and have have that space to add those two players if they do get two players. Can, can either of you think of anyone that you know any team that would take on a guy like Namath with with that salary and you know his lack of playing time and performing? Because to me. Um, you look at Namath and I don't see you know, who's making a move for him. I mean, never say never. I could see some a player getting hurt. Um, but you have to think, I, I know we've made this comparison before about uh, Kai Kamara, who was, I think he's still at a million dollar salary. Um, and I think he got traded for a draft pick. Um, so, I mean, there's really not a lot of trade value for Namath. And at, at this point, certainly. And I'd imagine if they were successful in trading him, they would have to eat some of that salary. Yeah, I could see. I could see him going to possibly even maybe like a Chicago because, um, you know, they. It, it seems like their team. I don't know what their international roster spot situation is like, but um, it sounded like from. Um, it sounded like they're 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 very much in the process of, you know, going kind of through the growing pains. And I know that. Um, and I know that their coach has spoken about. You know how things will improve during the summer, so he might be a that might be a potential landing spot for Namath. Um, certainly, his future here is pretty all but over. But um, but if I did have to think of a spot where he might land, I think it might be Chicago. Um, obviously, I know that it's you know it, within the conference, but again, I still think that idea is kind of uh, overblown a little bit, especially when you have a guy with like Namath who's not who's really not producing really not producing for the U, U at all. So you might as well take what you can get whether or not that team is in the eastern conference or western conference yeah i certainly don't think they can be picky with this one if an offer is out there um and i i don't my expectations they wouldn't be expecting as much as they were for for lee when this is more of a you know we need to get this guy off the books because his salary is so high and he's taking up a 
an international roster spot. But Chicago's a you know good good shout out because I I believe they do have an open international spot and an open designated player spot. So um, they could potentially afford him, especially when you're you know making the trade half season. It's only uh, half the half the impact on the the salary cap for that season. So that is a you know good good possibility there. Um, I think we're all in agreement that that, that Namath is is overpaid given his production. Um, but I, I want to jump into some of the other newcomers to this roster and you know get your takes on whether it's a, a good value to the team uh, salary wise or, or whether um, you know perhaps the, the revolution are, are paying a bit much um, and, and tops of that list is, is Claude Dielma who's the second highest paid guy in the team at $909,000 total compita- compensation at this point um, second highest paid player on the revolution and also the second highest paid defender in MLS so you know Brian is that a, a good buy for the revolution or are they paying perhaps paying a bit too much uh, for Dielma as the second highest paid defender in MLS I think considering the fact that he was just taken out of lineup yesterday, and I know that it's so fresh in my mind, but I'm going to have to say sell. Um, I think that he's a player that obviously has value. I just don't think his value is worth 900 k Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I think he's a, overall a good player, and you also have to remember the context that he was acquired late last year. The Revs were trying to make a playoff push, so they probably went out of their way to sp- spend a little extra to get him on the, si- uh, on the team. Um, but... If I remember correctly, he wasn't a very accomplished player uh, before coming to the Revolution. I think he was with. I'm trying to remember. He was he he went on loan a lot, uh, and he was a free transfer, so there was no acquisition costs. Uh, there was no allocation money spent on a transfer. But um, yeah, I, I mean, is he the second best defender in MLS? No, um, but I, I think they paid a premium to get him on the team. And overall, I mean, it's just kind of the price to pay to get someone like Diallo on the squad. Yeah, and let's jump down to uh, Pania, who's the fourth highest paid player on the team, uh, coming at 550000 in, in total compensation. Uh, Greg, buy or sell on that one? Uh, you got to buy. I mean, Christian Pania has uh, really kind of changed this team around. Uh, he, he's shown a lot of flashes. Uh, we talked last week. I, I said he seemed to be in a bit of a slump because he's only scored one goal and one assist in the last five games. Um, I mean, he, he really takes this team to another level. and. The fact that they've got him for uh, around half a million or five hundred and fifty thousand—that—that's, uh, I mean, that—that that is a great salary to get someone like that. We talk about Lee Wynn being a bargain at half a million dollars, and I'd say Pania is right up there with, uh, you know, he's at a really, really good salary. I'm buying that salary all day for uh, a guy like Christian Pania. Yeah, I, I, that's an easy buy for all the reasons you just said, Greg. And and most importantly, I know I know that you mentioned Wynn. Uh, he fits the system, so that that's that's a buy all day. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Certainly a buy on that one. Pania has been uh, just a fun player to watch and added a lot to this revolution attack. And um, certainly, as as Brian said, fits the system with this high press and uh, adds a lot to the revolution and creativity, which is something that you know you can't get enough of. Um, so with that, moving on to the fifth highest paid player on the team, another newcomer, Wilfred Zahibo. He's at 544000 Brian, you're buying or selling that one? If you had asked me at the beginning of the season, I would say sell. But now I'm going to say bye because uh, I think in the, I think in the last like four or five weeks he's really shown that value. Um, the team has notoriously struggled to have a quality number six, um, and I think he finally brings that the stability that this team has kind of like not not had not nearly had as much as as, as they've as, they, as they've needed uh, since the days of you know Caldwell and and Jones in that in that central midfield. So uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say a buy, and I, I and it might even be a more emphatic buy as the season as we as the season progresses but uh but definitely a buy for me 
I'm a big Zahibo fan, but I'm actually going to disagree and I'm going to sell. Uh, and a big reason I'm selling is because it seems like central defensive midfield was not exactly a spot that the Revs necessarily needed coming into this year. Um, and you look at, you know, Scott Caldwell and Caseto, uh, them combined are making less than Zahibo. So, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of Zahibo. I think he's a great addition to the team, but I'm actually going to sell him at the salary. Uh, I, I don't think he's worth this cost. Uh, I don't think he's, what'd you say, Sean, the fifth highest player in the team? Yeah, fifth uh, highest. I, I, I don't think uh, he brings half a million dollars worth of value considering the low budget that the Revolution are on. I, I'm going to go with Brian on this one. After two or three games, um, I was far from Sultan Sahibo, and I would have said he was far overpaid. But you know what we've seen from him lately and the impact he's had on this team has been really impressive. Um, you know, I think the hope was that he would add a lot of bite defensively. And um, you mentioned Caldwell and Casado. The, the things with those two guys is, uh, you know, what Caldwell is you know, a great player, but he you know, physically lacks in height and stature and Zahibo certainly doesn't. Casado lacks in height and stature as well. Um, but Zahibo, I think he adds what you need back there and uh, his offensive contributions, which I wasn't expecting have really picked up the past few games. Um, again, I was surprised to see him bench for this one, but I expect to see him back in the lineup last next week. So uh, for, for me, it's a buy on that one, um, which takes us to sixth on the revolution salary list. The other newcomer, Gabriel Somi, um, Lundquist, who was recently acquired by Houston, uh, has a slightly higher salary than him. But other than him, only Ashley Cole has is paid more as a left back, uh, and Somi comes at four hundred and twenty-five thousand in total compensation. Uh, so, Greg, buy in or sell on that one? Uh, I'm going to sell, and you know, I think Somi has a lot of potential. I know we have not said a lot of great things about Somi, but um, uh, the way I kind of see it is, you have to compare it to other players on the team and other players around the league. And while Somi has a lot of promise and, and has flashes and he's very fast and he can bring a lot to that left back position. We just haven't seen it so far. And compared to Chris Tierney, I think Somi's a step above Chris Tierney, but again, Somi's making more than twice what Chris Tierney is. So um, overall, are, are we getting full value for Somi? At this point, I would sell on that, but uh, I, I'm, I don't think the jury's totally out. I think when, when, you know, at the end of the season, it might be better to reassess because um, you know, a fast left back who, you know, one of his strengths is crossing or should be crossing. Uh, I, I think he might be able to turn around in the second half of the season. Yeah, that, I was just thinking the same thing, Greg. I was actually thinking, like, if you're asking me right now, I say sell. But I want to say sell with an asterisk because I think there is potential that later on down the road this season that that, that, that answer may change to buy. Because I do think that there is a lot of potential with him. <clears throat> um, obviously, his uh, obviously he's had some poor showings this year, but he's had some respectable performances as well. Um, he just seems to be fairly inconsistent, um, and I do think that he's still getting. I still think that he is still getting acclimated to the speed of the league, and I think that's a kind of a common denominator among among defenders that come into MLS um, from European leagues is that they're, they they just don't realize how fast this league is, um, especially when it comes to the number of teams that that use the high press and that really do pressure um, and adds and and really threaten opposing defenders with speed. So I don't think he's quite gotten there yet. Um, but I, like you said, I think the jury is still out. Um, but from what we've seen so far, I'm going to say sell with the, with the option to buy later on. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll say it's a hold. <laughs> we'll not buy, not sell, but we'll, we'll say hold. <laughs> uh, one, one person tweeted out though, during the game that they wanted to see, uh, they wanted to see Somi kind of play like a left wing position, maybe play as kind of like a forward, um, which I don't think the, I think the revs have a lot of depth and, and they might not have the space to push Somi up there, but I thought that that would be pretty interesting to see where if he doesn't have to worry about defense and getting back and if they just kind of let him run loose on the left wing, I, I think that might actually be beneficial for him a game if they 
they tried it out maybe during the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't hate the idea as long as it's not during a league game, as long as there's not points on the line. Um, but I wouldn't hate, I wouldn't hate it um, seeing that in, uh, in, in a U.S. Open Cup game for sure. Yeah, and if you look back at his history, I believe last year um, in, in, in 12 starts for his you know, playing over in Sweden, he had seven appearances at left mid uh, and five at left back. And before that, he was mostly left back, but he does have some experience in left mid. So it's not you know outrageous to suggest that that maybe we see that. Um, but with that said, you know, whether if you're deciding between you know Pania and Rowe or Aguadelo, um, you know, versus Somi, I don't think Somi is getting in the starting lineup. Um, and and I'm a, a hard sell on, on Somi on this one because you just look at who the other left backs are in this league. Um, you know, Greg Garza, who's been so good for Atlanta United, um, and is a borderline U.S. men's national team guy, is making 175,000. Edgar Castillo, who came over from the Mexican league, and another you know borderline U.S. national team guy. Making one hundred and thirty thousand, uh, Waylon Francis, who I mentioned last year, you know, a few times when talking about Kai Kamara, a guy that you know very capable of crossing into the box and, and creating dangerous chances, and I think one of the better left backs in the league, uh, who's on the Sounders now, he's making one hundred and seventy-one thousand. So, the level of performance that you know Somi would have to produce to make him a good buy is so far above what we're seeing right now that um, I, to me, there's no asterisk here. It's just you know, and and. and Give you know give the Revolution a lot of credit. They made some great signings this off season and some good deals, but you know so far Somi is not one of them, and I just can't see him performing at the level that would require it to to be a good buy at that salary. Um, and the other you know with that said, the other Revolution new signing was was Casado, um, and he's coming in at three hundred thousand, um, well down the list of highest paid players below De La Mea. Uh, buying or selling that one, Brian? I'm gonna say buy. Uh, he's really had. Aside from last night, he didn't have he didn't have that great of a performance last night. But I'm de- I'm definitely going all in on the buy with uh, Casado because he's really he's really added a lot a lot to the uh, to the midfield. Um, you know, certainly like I, like similar to Panea fits the system. Good box to box midfielder um, can has done a lot tracking back um, when when the team when the team loses possession. So it's always good to see that work rate. Um, and I think that. Uh, I think that um, you know with Zahibo, I think yesterday was just a product of him kind of having to shoulder more than more than what he's accustomed to with Zahibo out. Um, so I think uh, I think going forward, I think he's also another player that as he gets acclimated to the league, um, he'll he'll become more and more dangerous. So I'm going to say a hard hard buy. Yeah, and I agree with everything Brian says. He brings a lot of versatility. He does a lot of things uh, behind the play. Uh, he's got a lot of talent uh, for a player his age. Um, this was a great find by the Revolution, a great signing, um, a massive buy, in my opinion, on uh, Caseto. Um, I, I can't. I, I'm just going to repeat everything Brian said, so I'll, I'll just leave it there. A, a really strong buy. Yeah, he, he was one of those guys when I saw the Revolution sign him, thinking of how this you know team has operated in the past. You know, twenty twenty one year old South American player that I didn't expect to see much of the field. Uh, but Brad Friedel put him in right away, and he's been you know, fantastic for this team. Uh, his ability to play alongside Zahibo has been great, um, but he's also shown versatility to play pretty much everywhere in the midfield, except perhaps the number ten role. Um, so you know he's been a great find for this team, and at twenty one years old, uh, potential to be huge for this team uh, for a long time going forward. So hard hard not to buy on that one. Um, and the the last newcomer who's way down the list is Gail Anibaba, who's at ninety thousand. Um, I can guess where this one's going to go, but I'll start, I'll start with you, Greg, buy or sell. So I'll, I'll buy, uh, this is a hard buy. Um, I mean, I, I don't really think I need to go on any reason. He's proven to be a stabilizing force along that back line. He's really proven his worth. Um, and 
uh, yeah, I, I, there's not a whole lot I can say that isn't plain and obvious, but um, yeah, I, I think a bigger thing that after you guys talk about Anibaba is um, kind of about how American players just seem to be underpaid overall as a whole um, compared to these European signings. And I, I think Anibaba, you know, it's not like he's, you know, someone like Matt Turner, who's never played in MLS before. I mean, Anibaba has been an MLS journeyman and he's played with Seattle and, you know, he's played on some good teams. So the fact that he's making $90,000 is pretty incredible. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a hard buy too, uh, and I and not not to minimize anything he's on the field, but I really I but a hard buy only if only for his uh, his enthusiastic celebrations after he makes a tackle, so or or clears a dangerous ball out of uh, out of the area because uh, you know that's always fun to see, but um but certainly probably one of the biggest revelations uh, of this team this year, um, pro- possibly the only the only one bigger has been uh, Matt Matt Turner, so I'll say a hard buy on Andy Baba. Yeah, I, I'm with both of you. I think as far as salary goes, he just you know had a, had a bad time to become a a free agent, um, playing only eight games for Houston last year, four starts, and it wasn't the best time to be out there having to look for a new contract. But so far, he's been you know phenomenal player for this team. Um, going into the season, I thought he was you know a great depth piece, but he's proven to be you know, one of their better starters at center back. Um, so certainly, you can't can't say anything negative about his ninety thousand salary. Um, but with that, let's let's take a look at some of the other guys in this team. Um, you know, any any thoughts in general, Greg, on on other players and you know perhaps who else you'd buy or sell? It's not a newcomer. Um, I'd say buying, I'd buy Diego Fagundes. I mean, he got a bit of a from last year, but he's still under $200,000 and the offense seems to run through him as the number 10. So, uh, he, he's had a kind of a middle of the road season, but considering his potential, uh, considering how long he's been on the team, um, and considering, you know, how important he is to the team, uh, you know, someone making 40% of what Lee Wynn did, uh, I think that's a big buy for the revolution and a, and a big steal. As far as other players go, I mean, and it's not really a knock on it's not really a knock on him, but I think the Revs are kind of paying Juan Agudelo based on his on on his potential. Um, granted, a, a really really good player, but he seems to be a player that we're still waiting to see the full the full you know season of Juan Agudelo, the full potential being realized with him. And unfortunately, injuries just keep dogging him. He just keeps getting hurt. Or um, you know he just does not have does not stay consistent for very long. So um, if I look at his salary at 600k, um, you know if if you were to tell me that Agudelo was reaching his full potential at that number, I think worth every penny. But the fact that you know he continually gets hurt, and the, and the fact that he's you know really not not a surefire starter for, uh, for this team under the system, um, kind of speaks to the fact that he might be a little bit overpaid. Yeah, I, I agree with both of those points. Um, you know, Aguadelo in particular, I think his contract went up a hundred thousand dollars, and yeah, I'm sure that was you know, pre-negotiated. But um, you know, for a long time, we've been talking about what Juan Aguadelo could be, and I think what we saw him um, his last season with the Revolution before he went over to Europe, he was a phenomenal player. But um, the progress hasn't been there since then, and the health hasn't been there since then. So that, that's a, a difficult one there. Um, I also agree with Greg with with Fagundes and, and what we've seen from him certainly at that number ten role. Uh, I think we'd all agree that that Matt Turner and 
for obvious reasons has been a great great buy at, at sixty seven thousand. Um, but just look, looking throughout the the rest of the roster, um, and this may be a bit harsh too, is, is looking at Andrew Farrell at two hundred and sixty eight seven thousand um, dollars. Again, MLS fullbacks generally some of the best in the league are making you know, two hundred thousand or less, um, and I don't think Farrell has necessarily lived up to that potential. It's not an awful contract by any stretch, and you know he's still making. Uh, you know, $150,000 less than, than Gabriel Somi. Uh, but again, I think he might be on the, the list of, of perhaps a, a bit overpaid uh, when, when it comes to comparisons to other guys throughout the league. So that that's it for me, If you, unless you guys have any other thoughts. No, I'd actually, I, I had the same thought on Farrell. And if I remember correctly, too, the Revolution uh, declined his option and, and renegotiated his contract. So um, that's not necessarily, I, I, if I remember correctly, uh, I might need to be fact-checked on this, but I, I think that's a newly negotiated uh, contract as of last off season, which is seemingly kind of makes that number a little bit worse for me. Uh, but yeah, I think, again, I think oh, you're right. And he's up by 4,000 from last year. So he got a slight pay raise with that. Oh, really? He only made, okay. Well, that makes a little more sense that he didn't take a pay decline. Uh, but overall, um, I, I'm not an anti feral person. I, I know there's been some hate on Andrew Farrell on Twitter lately. I, I think he's, you know he's been he's had his ups and downs this season, but you're right for a right back position. Uh, I think that that number of two hundred sixty thousand is a little much. And if Bunbury can can keep scoring the way he's been scoring this year, him at two hundred sixty k is a bargain. If he continues his form, his goal scoring form, if 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 he reaches you know the double digit uh, goal scoring plateau, um, a complete bargain. Yeah, and and the other guy that I didn't mention that I will mention is is Chris Tierney. We've talked about him, and I think. You know, you knew after last season that his role was going to continue to be diminished. So I was a little bit surprised to see him re-signed for. I can't remember if he was, you know, if it was a new contract or if it was an option. Um, but to see his salary go up seventeen thousand five hundred dollars um, is a bit surprising to me because again, uh, some of the best left backs in the league are making that money, and everyone knew after last year that he was his play was going to his role was going to be diminished. Um, and then combine that, you know, with with Somi, and you've got uh, you know close to close to $600,000 tied up in left backs. Uh, so that's another one that maybe not, not the best bargain at this point in time. Well, well and also say though, Chris Deering brings a lot of leadership and he's been, a, he's been a veteran with this team for so long that I don't necessarily hate the move. The other thing too, that, that we should mention is that it seems to be that these MLS teams have been given more allocation money this year. It seems like for whatever reason, there's been uh, kind of more spending throughout the league. So, you know, I, I'm sure on a percentage basis, we talk about Andrew Farrell and Chris Tierney getting slight raises. Uh, I'm sure on a, you know, kind of like a percentage basis of, of what the revolution's budget is. I, I think their percentage of that budget probably went down because there's more allocation money flowing in and out of these front offices. So um, I, I'm not totally against those uh, re-signings. Uh, I think it gives them depth. And ultimately, uh, what we haven't talked about yet is that the revolution, once again, are kind of at the bottom of uh, salaries throughout the league. So, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, I I can't knock the revolution for actually spending on depth pieces and uh, players that are starting uh, because overall, in the grand scheme of things, they should be spending more overall. Yeah, I no, gave a lot to chew on there. <laughs> no, that is, that is the you know the key piece here is that the revolution are what third from the bottom um, in spending, and you know DC is below them, and we've heard uh, that they're potentially signing Wayne Rooney for something like sixteen million dollars. So that that could change very soon, and the revolution could be second from bottom. Um, I haven't heard that that Houston, who's the the de- dead last right now, is is planning to to spend more, but. 
Uh, yeah, no, it is the the elephant in the room that the Revolution are one of the the bottom spending teams um, in the league. So it'll be interesting to see with the money that they have from Lee Wynn um, if they go out and, and change that this summer. I got one more for you guys if you want to go quick. Uh, Kellen Rowe making two hundred fifty eight thousand. I think that matches his potential, but being used as a super sub, would you guys sell or buy buy or sell that salary? I would I would sell him at that salary for the reason you just you just pointed out, Greg. I mean, as a super sub, he he also seems to be a player that is kind of not that doesn't really fit the system. Um, and I know that he got the start yesterday, and I know that a lot of people were encouraged by what they saw. Um, but he just doesn't he just doesn't seem to really add much. He he doesn't seem to bring what what Friedel's looking for in terms of what he wants his his midfielders to do, and that's. That's obviously a lot. Obviously, a lot of high pressing, but it's also a lot of uh, tracking back and getting and making sure that uh, the team doesn't get doesn't get killed in transition. And I just don't, I just don't think he's a player that uh, is part of Friedel's uh, is part of this team going forward. Um, and at that rate, I just I I I definitely don't think that. Yeah, I'm with Brian. If you would ask me this in the off season, um, I would have said that was a bargain contract but you know, from what we've seen this year if he's not going to be a regular starter um and i don't think he fits the system very well um and you know albeit in limited minutes he's only played 278 minutes this year uh he other than Hiravu, who's played even less minutes has the worst passing percentage on the team now behind even somi now at 66.7 percent so uh that's surprising to me to see that from Callum Rowe. um but you know, I, I would agree that based on what we've seen so far this year, uh, I, I'm selling that one, um, which, you know, again, is surprising given what I would have thought at the beginning of the season. And with that, we can get to uh, the Revolution's upcoming game um, coming up next weekend in which they stay home and face the Columbus crew. Um, that game on May 19th at 7.30 p.m. at Gillette Stadium on NBC Sports Boston. Uh, so the Revolution played Columbus earlier this season to that 2-2 draw back at the end of April. Um, but this game is another key one for the revolution because the crew are one of those teams that are fighting for a playoff spot. Um, the crew currently in second place, but they've played two more games than just about everyone else. Um, they're averaging 1.75 points per game compared to the revolutions 1.7 points per game. Uh, so, you know, evenly matched teams, as we saw with that draw, um, big game for the revolution, another chance to potentially get three points. Uh, I'm curious for both of your predictions and based on how many changes we saw this week, um, what we're going to see different in the lineup going into that one. Brian, let's start start with you for this one. All right. So first of all, I'm going to say this is going to be a, a definitely not a, a a game in which we're going to see five goals. So I'll just say that right off the bat. That being said, I think it's going to be a one nothing Revolution win. Um, I do think that the Crew's defense has looked really really good as of late. I think they have three three straight shutouts. So they they've really turned it on um, in the last three or four weeks. Um, so I think that this is going to be this is going to be a, a, a great this is to me this is going to be a gritty kind of game. Um, Columbus always plays the Revs really hard, even at, even at Gillette Stadium. Say that I'd, I'd argue that they're one of the few teams that can actually that doesn't seem to get uh, you know that doesn't seem to play worse at Gillette Stadium. I think they they don't get thrown stay, off by the weird vibes. Yeah, no, no, they they they're definitely they're not affected by the weird vibes at all. They're one of the few teams that doesn't get affected by the weird vibes at Gillette Stadium. So I think it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to come down to uh, I think I'll, I dare say it. I think it's going to come down to a Teal Bunbury goal. Uh, I'm actually going to go with a 3 nothing Revolution win. I think it's going to be a big win next week. Um, I think some of the starters that got a rest last week are going to come back in like Zahibo and Yelna. Um, and I think uh, getting Columbus at home, I know Zardes is on a roll lately, but uh, I got 
high confidence in the revs. Uh, they, they're really, really, they're a really, really strong home team. Um, and uh, as I said, I think they're just rolling right now. And uh, I think they're going to take full advantage. So uh, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to go three zero. Yeah. And when I saw this, this crew team last time, um, my worry was the same as it still is now. And that's, you know, Zardes' speed and the ability of this team to get down the wings and play balls in to him for he can finish off those, you know, the tap-ins that he's, that he's known for doing um, is something that the Revolution struggle with. And, and Brian brings up a great point about Columbus's defense. They've only given up 10 goals in 12 games. They're the only team in the league that's allowed less than a goal per game. So they've been you know, really impressive defensively. Um, I, I think this is going to be a difficult one for the Revolution. I think defensively they're going to struggle. Um, I actually think they might be better off with if De La Maya plays over Dielma to, to help counter again against that that speedy um, and, and being more stay-at-home to, to stop a guy like Zardes. Uh, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw uh, for this one. So it's going to be an interesting match. I agree with Brian. It's not, we're not going to see five goals again. Um, but... You know, I, I, I don't think it's going to be an easy match at all. I think Columbus is pleasantly surprised this season. They've done a lot better than I expected. Um, and they're a team that causes a matchup nightmare for the Revolution uh, in the defense. So it'll be another fun one to watch. Um, and, and with that, before we wrap things up, does anyone have any shout-outs for the week? I know it was an exciting Open Cup week. Oh, well, do you want to go – before we do that, we had a couple of Twitter questions. Oh, yes. We can't forget the Twitter questions. Can't Thank forget you. the Twitter questions, John. Uh, and actually, we've, we've kind of touched on this one too, especially talking with Columbus – but uh, Lost Hope Legacy asked online about Claude Yelna and uh, was his him coming out of the lineup, was that a one-game change or will Friedel, Friedel continue to mix center-back pairings going forward? I think it's a one-game change. I think we see Dielna back. Um, I think uh, I think, I think, Diel, I think it, it was a one-game change, but I wouldn't rule out seeing Dielna may back in the lineup for, uh, for a few midweek games here and there. And, you know, uh, if, if there are injuries in the back line or at center-back, I should say, uh, seeing him back in the lineup, but I do think that this was a this was a one off. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that we're going to see De La Maya again next week, and I think that's because uh, matchup wise, I think he's a better matchup against the crew than than Dielna is. Um, I think he, you know he's a guy that perhaps can and you know in saying that he did get beat early on the season and that that ball over the top, but I think you need someone that's going to stay at home more and um, unless. Unless uh, Brad Friedel has convinced Dielma to to stay back more, um, I could actually see De La Maya playing again in, in this matchup against Columbus. Um, I, I, as, as I said earlier on in the show, I don't think center back is a position you want to mess with much, and I don't think Friedel would would have messed with it much unless he saw an opportunity for you know, De La Maya to step in and, and be that center back pairing next to Andy Baba. So I, I think we are going to see more of De La Maya going forward. And we actually have one more, too, that while we were recording, so you guys have no idea what's coming. I'm really excited. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, kind of switching over to the Premier League with Stoke getting relegated. Uh, there's the question on uh, if how do we feel about the potential of Jeff Cameron coming to the Rebs? Uh, and then also kind of as a follow-up, uh, uh, at Dendun29, who asked this question, asked you guys what do you think about Shakiri and if he would be a good signing for the Rebs. So Pop quiz, I love it. Yeah, this, these are, uh, are interesting ones. Um, I'll start with Jeff Cameron because that's the that's the easier one and perhaps the, the more – Realistic one, although I still don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, he, he turns 33 in July. Uh, again, he'll. I think his best role would be at center back for this team. I don't. I don't see him as a, as he's getting older, being you know a great right back option. Um, perhaps you could use him in the midfield. I just don't think 
Um, he's a guy that improves this team given the amount of money you'd likely have to spend to bring him here. Um, again, local guy from Attleboro would be nice to, to see him on the team, but uh, I think you're you know, perhaps spending upwards of a million dollars to bring him over to this team and just the roles that he plays and the age that he's at, I don't think it would be a good move for the revolution. Yeah, same. I would, I would agree with those points, uh, with those, Greg's, with, the, with those points, Sean. And I, I think that uh, the amount of money that you'd have to bring him in to uh, the amount of money you'd have to spend to bring him in just doesn't constitute, um, you know, that the worth of the, the what you'd get back in return. Um, it would be a nice story. It would be kind of cool to see him back. Um, but I will say that if he doesn't go to the Revs, I do think that he might go to the Galaxy for the fact that uh, one thing he's always said is that if he doesn't if he doesn't come back to them if he does come back to MLS he he has told me that he would like to play he would like to play for Dom Kinnear and I know that Dom Kinnear is an assistant with the Galaxy so um, I could very well seeing if he does come back to MLS seeing seeing him go to the Galaxy. Yeah, I, I was going to say with Cameron, I think is the problem is going to be that, as Sean said, I think his best position would be center back in the MLS. And I think he'd be a very good center back in the MLS. But I think um, considering the commitment to, to Dielna, and then I think with Anibaba's performance and De La Maya still on this team, I think that's just not an area where you need Jeff Cameron at this point in time. Um, I'm not sure where he would go. I, I wouldn't rule out Jeff Cameron, just not in the near future. I could see him maybe coming to Foxborough in a couple of years if you know, he kind of wants to do a, yeah, like a coming home season or whatever. But um, I, I think if he comes to the revolution, it won't be his first team in MLS. I think he would go to someone like the Galaxy, like Brian said, uh, or someone else that would have more of an immediate need at center back than the revolution. Now, jumping into Shakiri, I just don't think that one's realistic. Um, the the word on this is that he has a uh, 12 million pound release clause, which translates to 16.2 million US dollars. So you know the same price that uh, Wayne Rooney's potentially coming over for. Um, but you look at Shakiri, you know, 26 years old, a fantastic player, coming off you know a pretty good season with with eight goals and and seven assists for for Stoke. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in him. Uh, rumors are that Everton, West Ham, Crystal Palace, all looking for him. Um, the Revolution would have to pay a premium to get him to come over here, you know, even if there's any potential interest. Um, and it, to me, that just doesn't seem realistic that the Revolution would go out and, and make that signing. That would be a great signing for the Revolution to make. Were they um, about to open up a new stadium? I wanted to really make a bang and, and get you know, a fantastic player out there. Um, it would be certainly very exciting to see Shakiri patrolling the wing opposite of Pania, but... Um, I think that's that's more of a, a, a dreaming scenario rather than a, a realistic one. Yeah, same. I think uh, I think that would be a, a huge. Somebody would really, really have to convince Bob Kraft to spend upwards of sixty million dollars uh, on any soccer player at this point in time, um, and certainly not not Shakiri. So I I just think that's uh, that's a little bit of a fantasy for uh, for this year, and um, given the fact that it's just you know it, we we haven't seen it before, we're probably not going to see it this year. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with both of you guys. He'd be a, a great signing for the Revolution, and I think he'd give them uh, kind of that playmaker that could change the game. I think him and Pini would be a, a great tandem in MLS. Uh, but he, his services are going to be uh, requested in the Premier League and, and with other teams that can't afford that rec- release clause or can can pay a higher transfer fee. I don't think the Revolution are a realistic uh, location for Shakiri, But, uh, you know, it's fun to think about as a, a potential match. But... Um, not not very realistic, I don't think, uh, especially with that release call, clause that Sean mentioned. Maybe in six years. <laughs> Maybe in six. Yeah, he's still twenty six. You got to wait till they turn thirty, and then that's MLS. <laughs> uh, and 
And uh, with that, we will jump to, to shout outs now. And as I said, with particular with the Open Cup this past week, I'm sure you guys have some some interesting shout outs for, for other New England soccer and what we've seen this past week. Yeah, um, I have two shout outs this week. First shout out is to, um, is, is to Elm City Express for getting a 2-1 win in their very first Open Cup game. Um, really, really, really fun game to watch. I was up there. I was up in Ludlow for that game. Um, and to see a team that obviously they had a lot of success last year. They won the NPSL championship. Um, and obviously, you know, U.S. Open Cup is an entirely different beast. And, and they certainly showed themselves capable in that game. Um, so a deserved win, a deserved uh, uh, first game uh, win in their first, very first Open Cup game. And I also want to shout out the guy that I saw on a bike today that had a Donnie Smith jersey. No word of a lie. I saw somebody riding around my neighborhood with a Donnie Smith jersey. And I had to do a double take. And I just could not believe that there was somebody who owns a Donnie Smith jersey that isn't who isn't named Donnie Smith. So I just want to give a shout out to that guy. I don't know who he is. He lives in my neighborhood. But I want to give a shout out to the Donnie Smith guy riding around in my neighborhood with a Donnie Smith jersey. My, yeah, I, I was, you, you kind of killed the joke, but my next question was, are you sure that wasn't Donnie Smith? <laughs> uh, I, I got to say, I got to give it to Sean's dad joke from a few weeks ago where I think, who, who's playing with the Charlotte Independence now, Sean? It's like Donnie Smith. Yeah, there's a couple of ex-revs. Donnie Smith, Bilal Duckett. Um, and I feel like there was another one on that team. Oh, Javon Watson. That's right. Well, yeah, Watson. He just signed. Yeah, and you made you made the comment like it makes sense to go from a revolution to independence. That was a oh man! I was like, uh, I think I missed that week on the podcast, and it was just because like I can't I can't top the dad jokes this week. I you know why why even have me on? So uh, I want to give a shout out though to uh, the Kendall Wanderers uh, and Seacoast United. That was a great game they played. Um, came down to shootouts. I think for for you know we hyped up the U.S. Open Cup last week, and I think uh, those four teams that were involved gave two really really good matches. I was following online on Twitter, uh, and I was watching the Western Mass game. So uh, really really strong performances all the way around. Uh, really excited for the next round between Seacoast United and uh, Elm City Express, the best NPSL team in New England versus uh, the best uh, PDL team in New England from last seasons. So uh, it should be a very exciting matchup. Um, I also want to just give a shout out to, of course, all the mothers for being so great and happy Mother's Day. And on that point, I also want to shout out my mom because, true fact, my mom, my mom was the first person to ever take me to a soccer game. So I want to shout her out. My mom doesn't listen, so I'm not going to bother shouting out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm with you, Greg. But shout out to all the the great mothers on Mother's Day. So, um, and. Same, same with my mom. Thanks, thanks for taking me to all those soccer games back in the day, and and pretending to have interest in soccer. <laughs> <laughs> but but with that, we'll wrap up the show. Thanks again for Brian and Greg for for joining us today. Uh, could you guys give out your Twitter handles? Sure, you can you can follow me on Twitter at, at Brian O'Connell twenty one. Um, obviously, I'm very much I, I only tweet about soccer, so you're not going to get anything else from me but soccer. And you can follow me at, at gjohnstone12. I talk about a lot of things other than soccer. Uh, so, But I tweet a lot more at Revolution Recap. Uh, we typically do live tweets uh, if I'm around and watching a game or someone else is covering the account. So, uh, yeah, feel free to follow me at my personal account. But definitely follow us at, at Revolution Recap. And like our Facebook page, of course, too. 
Yes, good good shout outs there to the uh, Revolution Recap social media accounts. And you can follow me at uh, Sean L. Donahue. Um, and as always, I, I like tweeting out the, the random stats during the games in midweek. So if you're if you're into stats, um, you know, make sure to give me a follow. Thanks again for listening to us this week. Uh, as mentioned, the Revolution back home again next weekend playing the Columbus crew on Saturday. Uh, we'll be back after that game.